Okay, let's come to the Lord in prayer and let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning in worship. And in this portion of this worship service, we ask that you open our ears, you open our hearts, open our minds. Help us, Lord, to receive all that you have for us today. May I, Lord, as the preacher, be faithful to your word. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, have you ever been stuck in a very, very long queue because only one counter was open? I'm sure you have, okay? Maybe at a supermarket, uh, just before MCO, everybody rushing kyasu goes to the supermarket and queue, right? Or... Uh, uh, fa- maybe a fast food restaurant during lunchtime or, or, or dinner time uh, in a very popular area. Uh, this is, if you can see on the screen, this is, can you guess where this is? It's immigration. Can you guess which border? This is between JB and Singapore. Okay. So, uh, when I was in JB, so before I, I came, to, came back to uh, be a pastor in Penang, I was in JB. When I was in JB, I was heading into Singapore for a training. Okay, it was a two-day training. And so I needed to do what many JB people did, which was get up at 5 a.m. and get ready to cross the causeway uh, because there are massive jams on the causeway. We walk across because it's so jammed, it's faster to walk. And then you come to the immigration and there are queues like this. And I remember standing in line for about two hours uh, just at this immigration. And I remember thinking to myself, this can be going a lot faster. This process can be a lot more efficient if all the 25 counters were open. But not all of them were open. There were only about four or five at that point. That's why we were waiting for so long. And so this is during rush hour, around 6.30 a.m. And so I I remember feeling so frustrated that if only there were more workers, this would be a much better, a more pleasant experience. Now today we are looking at a similar situation. And our big idea for today is the simple fact that the Lord's... Oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't change this one. Sorry, the big idea for today is that the Lord's harvest requires workers. Okay, disregard this big idea. I I forgot to change this one. I used the template. Uh, The Lord's harvest requires workers. Okay, the Lord's harvest requires workers. Now, the context of today's passage in Matthew's Gospel is that Jesus has been going about doing His ministry. Okay, He's been teaching He's been uh, healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been calling his disciples. So all the stuff that you remember from the Gospels of Jesus, Jesus has been doing all that. And there are two metaphors that are present in today's passage. The first are the metaphors of sheep and shepherd. Okay, sheep and shepherd. And so Jesus refers to the crowd as sheep. Now, the word sheep is figuratively used to to refer to somebody who is easily led in one way or another, okay? Whether it's in the right way or the wrong way towards, uh, you know, green pastures or towards a cliff, the sheep will be easily led. And so the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd, meaning that they were lacking good spiritual leadership. Now, 
for the shepherd, this metaphor of shepherd, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the religious teachers of Israel, they were supposed to be the shepherds. They were supposed to provide spiritual leadership. But we can see throughout the Gospels and Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they failed in their role. They were supposed to lead, instead they, they were the ones who condemned. They were the ones who made it difficult uh, for people to follow. They were the ones that set unnecessary rules and so on. And so Jesus would identify himself as the good shepherd. He would be the one who cares for the sheep so much that he would lay down his life for the sheep, John chapter 10. Uh, he would be the one who would go out to search for one lost sheep, Matthew chapter 18. So that's the first metaphor here, okay? Sheep and shepherd. The second metaphor in this passage is the metaphor of harvests and workers. And so this is where our sermon is focusing on more today, okay? This whole metaphor of the harvest and the workers. The first thing I'd like us to look at is that the harvest is plentiful. Sorry, harvest and workers, yes. The harvest is plentiful. Now, this metaphor of the harvest would have been very relatable for the disciples uh, because agriculture was a big part of society back then. Okay? If you weren't a farmer yourself, you probably had a, a brother or cousin or an uncle uh, who dealt with crops. Okay? So it was a very common uh, illustration for them at that time. And so what is involved in this work of harvesting? Now, for literal crops, it would be things like doing the work of reaping, threshing, we knowing, okay, these are all words. Uh, if you're not a farmer, you probably don't have a very good idea of what they mean. Uh, but you hear them mentioned in the Bible a lot. Basically, these are farming processes to, to extract edible grain from the crops. Okay? So the process of the, the seed grows into, into the, the crop okay? together with the stem and everything. And then there's grain. That's the thing that you eat. You don't eat the whole plant. Okay? So the process of harvesting is everything that's involved to get the thing that you are going to eat, all right? So harvesting needs a lot of work, especially if there is a lot of crops to harvest. Now, in the case of the spiritual crop that Jesus is talking about, the work of this harvesting can be found in verse 35. So Jesus, verse 35, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Okay, so I, I would propose that this work of the harvest is what Jesus was doing here. Teaching, proclaiming the good news, and healing. Okay, let's, let's have a quick look at these three main components of this work. Firstly, teaching. What did Jesus teach? If you look at the gospel, he taught about the kingdom of God. Everywhere he went, he taught about the kingdom of God. What life would look like if it was completely submitted to the authority of the king, God. Okay? So that includes not just you know, what, what a, a human uh, life would look like in relationship to God, in right relationship to God, but also what a human relationship, uh, what a human life would look like in right relationship with one another, okay? So, what life would look like under the kingdom of God? 
Now, secondly, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. In context of this passage, the gospel, the good news, it's not talking about uh, salvation yet, okay, because Jesus hasn't died. Uh, he hasn't become a, a, a living sacrifice for the sins of mankind. But here, he's talking about the good news of the kingdom, that God's kingdom has come near, that God's kingdom is at hand. It is in their midst, okay, that, that the kingdom of God is accessible, all right? And so, this is a time when God would be acknowledged as king among people who have been ignoring him and rejecting him in their hearts up to this point. And so later, Jesus would die on the cross and make all this possible. Okay, so uh, proclaiming the good news would become proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done on the cross. Now third, healing. Now the Greek word for healing here is therapeo, okay, and, and this basically is where we get the word therapy, okay? And so this means, this Greek word for healing mainly means to care for, to wait upon, and to minister to. Okay, it refers to the care that is provided, and through the care that is provided, you know, healing will take place. And so, healing here does not necessarily mean miraculous healing, although we always associate Jesus with miraculous healing. You know, he just says something, or waves something, or touch something, and boom, just healed, right? But this word healing here doesn't necessarily mean miraculous healing. Or it doesn't even necessarily mean physical healing, although it's commonly used to refer to that. It can also mean mental healing. It can mean spiritual healing. And these are things that Jesus also performed and did. So in a larger sense, any work, any, any sort of work or ministry that provides care in order to restore any brokenness in a person's life due to the effects of sin can be considered an act of healing. And so this stretches to things like being a friend to somebody who is lonely, especially during the MCO, a lot of people are isolated, you know, just being there, being a friend, being present, uh, praying for somebody, encouraging someone if they are down and you know that they are, they are feeling disillusioned, uh, depressed. You know, these can all be acts of or it can be acts of healing that can lead to the restoration of the mind, the emotions, and the spirit. Okay, so the work that Jesus did involved teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and healing. And I want to further propose that these three acts of teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and healing are three components that can be found in what we call discipleship in the process of making disciples of Jesus Christ, that these three components are involved. The process of teaching, the process of proclaiming the gospel, and the process of healing and meeting needs in whatever way. And so the work that Jesus did, teaching, proclaiming the gospel, healing, discipleship. And so what is the main objective of this work of teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and healing, what is the work of discipleship? What is the objective of this work? Jesus sums it up in John chapter 10, verse 10, as uh, we, it, it was referred to just now during the, the enrollment, that here, once again, Jesus is using the sheep and shepherd metaphor. So he says, 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so this is the purpose of Jesus' ministry and work of teaching, healing, uh, proclaiming the gospel, that they may have life and have it to the full. This full life that Jesus came to give, or abundant life, some translations say, uh, is more than going to heaven after you die. Okay, because what is the point of teaching? What is the point of healing? If the only thing that matters is what happens after death, right? And so this work of teaching, proclaiming the gospel and healing is the work of the harvest. This harvest is bringing more people into God's kingdom through faith in Jesus. And coming into God's kingdom through faith in Jesus, that is what brings about a full life. That is what brings about an abundant life. Again, I can always remember my life before knowing Jesus, before knowing uh, God's kingdom, that the, the, the theme that always comes to me is meaningless, directionless, purposeless. And so after coming to know Jesus and after coming into the kingdom of God, there was meaning, there was purpose, there was direction. I was no longer a sheep without a shepherd. And so this is the full life, the abundant life that Jesus promises through faith in Him. And, that, and so that is the work of the harvest. And so the harvest is plenty. There are plenty who do not have access to abundant life through faith in Jesus. The harvest work is more than just the people that we can see in church or the people that we can see in our church grounds. It is the entire world that God so loved that He would send His only Son to die for them. And so there are plenty who need this abundant life. There are plenty who need spiritual teaching. There are plenty who need to hear the gospel. There are plenty who need healing, whether physical, mental, spiritual, or emotional. This BB and Roman Sunday, we are reminded of the Boys Brigade work of teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and healing. Uh, you may ask, how is BB a healing ministry? Yeah? Uh, teaching, okay, la, got CE classes. Uh, proclaiming the gospel, okay, the gospel does get shared you know, during camps and that sort of thing. But BB is not really well known for their healing rallies. Correct or not? Am I wrong? Not, not much healing rallies, right? Uh, okay. Well, I have a friend from First KL Company in, in KL. He's been involved in BB for many years uh, since he was a, a BB boy himself. And he shared with me how he has been able to minister to the boys outside of formal meetings. And even after they move on from BB and they're working and they're, you know, they, they go to college, they start working and all that, uh, that they come to him when they are facing issues, okay? So because of the connections and the relationships that have been built up through BB, they come to him when their parents are going through a divorce. They, they come to him after a bad breakup with their girlfriend, you know, that sort of thing. And so he listens, he counsels, he prays with them. And so these are opportunities for healing that also arise within the ministry of other BB companies as well. I'm sure it happens in First Penang as well. And so the first Penang company, I, I did a little bit of research, uh, was founded in 1946. So 
this is the year 2020. That is 74 years of harvesting work. 74 years of teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and healing. And that's just for those who enroll for BB. There are so many other young lives who need to be taught, who need to hear the gospel, and who need healing in all sorts of ways. So friends, the harvest is very, very plentiful. The harvest is unlimited, if I may paraphrase. But although the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is not always attractive. What do I mean by that? Just look at the spiritual harvest that Jesus was looking at. Uh, so just a few passages above our passage for today in Matthew chapter 9, if you look at uh, verses 10 to 13, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Matthew the tax collector, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This spiritual crop that Jesus was referring to were imperfect, broken people. And so we see this Today, in church, uh, many times we get hurt, we get disappointed most by the people in church rather than those outside the church. And that's because the church is made up of imperfect, broken people, not perfect people. The church is made up of people who have recognized their imperfection and their need for God. And the same is true for BB. I'm sure that for uh, for the officers and the helpers, you come across boys or you come across parents who are difficult, uh, not so easy to work with. So the harvest may not always be so attractive, but it's still God's harvest and it's still important work. And so the reason why Jesus ministered to the crowds even though they were sinners and spiritually unattractive is because he was driven by compassion. Now, the, the Greek word for compassion here is splagnizome. Okay. It sounds like a, like a German sausage. Huh? Okay, but actually what this word means, splagnizome, uh, it's a very strong word and it literally means being moved to the inward parts, literally the bowels. Okay? So if, you've ever, uh, if you ever felt so happy or you ever felt so... Uh, uh, sorrowful, that you feel like, oh, there's something in my stomach, huh? that is that feeling, okay? Strong emotion. Because when Jesus was driven by compassion, he felt very strongly for the people that he ministered to. And that's why he would often allow himself to be interrupted by the crowds. When they came looking for him, for, for teaching or healing, uh, even when he was tired, he needed rest, he wanted to go away to a secluded place to recover, uh, he, need, he was on his journey to get to another place quickly, he would allow the crowds to come and interrupt him and he would minister to them because of that compassion, that splagnizome. Okay? Now don't forget, Jesus would predict his death. He would predict Judas' betrayal. He would also know how the, the crowds that he had such compassion for now would later turn and call for his crucifixion.
crucifixion and his death, he knew about how they would turn on him, but he still had compassion on them. And he still ministered to them. And remember, one of Jesus' last words as he lay dying on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so the same sentiment is there. Father, have compassion on them, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. So for those of us who find it particularly difficult to minister to people, especially difficult people, or especially when the ministry itself, the work, is difficult, may I suggest that you ask God for a heart of compassion for those that you minister to. I, I know the, the officers in, in First Penang uh, uh, feeling the strain because of lack of workers, uh, because of many changes and transitions over MCO. Things get difficult. And so may I encourage you, ask for the heart of Jesus' compassion for those that you are ministering to. Ask for his compassion to be your driving force. That compassion will help you to see through Jesus' eyes. And that can make all the difference in giving you strength, in giving new perspective. Okay, the harvest is plentiful. Now what happens to a field of crops waiting to be harvested? Very logically, two things can happen, okay? One, it can be gathered, okay? The, the work of the harvest can happen, and the crops are gathered, the workers come along and do the work of harvesting. That's one. The second thing that can happen is the work of harvesting doesn't happen. This crop that is ripe for harvesting will eventually wither and die, and the whole crop is lost. Nothing is gained. And so the same is true with the harvest of God's kingdom. Those who aren't harvested into God's kingdom will continue down humanity's default state of separation from God and eternal death. And so you can see how important this work of harvesting is. And it hinges upon the workers, which brings us to our second point, that the workers are few. Although the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Now, when Jesus, said, <coughs> excuse me, when Jesus said that the workers are few, his words were a timeless truth. 2,000 years later, this statement is still true in the work of the kingdom, in the work of teaching, in the work of proclaiming the gospel, in the work of healing. It is still true. The workers are still few. Now, one of the most unhealthy things in a church is for a church to become dependent on one or a few people to do almost everything. And so in many churches, especially you know, the smaller churches, uh, this is often the pastor who kicks everything with one leg. Okay, one leg kick. Huh? Uh, thankfully, the situation is healthier here in Penang Trinity. Okay, I thank God for that. But a lot of times, the, the common expectation, the almost automatic response to any spiritual need is to look for the pastor, right? Uh, you share gospel, uh, call the pastor. Uh, you pray for anything, uh, look for the pastor. Uh, need to rebuke somebody who is doing wrong, uh, sinning, uh, call for the pastor. And if the pastor is not available, look for associate pastor. Uh, associate pastor not available, look for a full-time worker. And so this is usually driven by the desire to defer to the expert because we often feel inadequate 
we feel ill-equipped to handle these things, so we call the expert, you know, who went through seminary. But did you know, when I was in seminary, uh, STM in Saramban, Seminary Theology Malaysia, uh, we have both an English and a Chinese department, right? Because uh, the, so, so we live in a community that's made up of English-speaking, also Chinese-speaking, Mandarin-speaking. One of the first Mandarin words that I learned was Pieren. You know what that means? It means somebody else. Someone else. Why? Because every single time uh, we, we would sit in a, you know, there, there's a meeting or, or there's, a, there's a student body, AGM or whatever, and I hear people asking people to, you know, help with things or do something. I always hear that word, Pieren, 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 and I'm wondering, what is that? Very nice to eat, Pieren, uh, Pieren. And so, sit on student ex co, Pieren, somebody else. Help play for worship, Pieren, somebody else. Be a representative of students for that year, Pieren, somebody else. And so, friends, this is the situation in seminary. Eh? It is the same situation outside seminary because the workers are few. This is a timeless truth in every area of God's kingdom. I don't think I need to spend much time on why the workers are few, just very, very quickly, uh, why the workers are few. Uh, simply because not every disciple is answering the Great Commission to go and make disciples, whether out of fear or unwillingness to face discomfort or convenience. Not every disciple is making other disciples, okay, which uh, Jesus called all disciples to make other disciples. And so due to this reason that not every disciple is making other disciples, the global birth rate is far, far higher than the rate of people coming to Christ. So logically, you just put the two together, the harvest will always be plenty, the workers will always be few. We will never reach a point when there are enough workers for God's kingdom. In fact, you show me a harvest field that has enough workers and I will show you workers who have stopped looking at the harvest field. Okay, there's no such thing as having enough workers for God's harvest field. The harvest will always be plentiful. The workers will always be few. But that does not mean that we throw up our hands and say, so difficult, no point trying. Now, what does Jesus ask us to do in the face of this never-ending lack of workers? He says in verse 38, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, several things to note about this statement. Firstly, the harvest field belongs to the Lord. And so that means that he has a personal interest in it. And so just like the parable of the lost sheep, God also cares for his harvest field. He doesn't want any crop to go to waste. But even though the harvest field is God's, he still uses workers. The Lord uses workers. Now let's get one thing clear. God can reap the harvest on his own. He is God, right? And I have personally witnessed people walking into church asking to be baptized out of the blue, okay? In fact, uh, when I was in JB, I had an assistant pastor. Uh, his name is Pastor Lester. And his story is nobody came to share the gospel with him. Nobody came to minister to him. He one day was 
driving by a church and then he felt, hey, I want to go in. Nah. And then he went in and then he felt, hmm, I want to be Christian. He asked the pastor he wanted to be baptized. Okay, so that does happen. God can reap the harvest on his own, but that is not the general pattern. God still uses workers to work with him and to work for him in the harvest field because God wants to involve us in his work. That's one of the seven realities of experiencing God. Now, why does God involve us imperfect workers when he can do the work perfectly? I suspect it's not so much about how he needs us to get the job done, but it's more about how much we need him to get the job done. Because as much as God uses us to minister to others and to transform lives, God often ministers to us and transforms us through the ministry and the work that we do. And so for those of you who serve in some area of ministry or have served in some area of ministry, I'm sure you'll be able to relate. When you can see God do wonderful things in spite of your own shortcomings, you know, that grows your faith in Him, that grows your dependence on Him. At least that's been my experience many times. And the Lord provides the workers also for His own harvest field. Uh, earlier this March, uh, we, we looked at, in one of my sermons, we looked at Moses, uh, how the Israelites had a battle with the Amalekites, right? He, he had to raise his hands, raise the staff, and then they were winning, and then, oh, the hands get tired, they were losing. And so we saw how, in, in, that, in that passage, we saw how that even though the battle is the Lord's, and God is the one responsible for winning the battle, the Israelites still had a part to play. And so here we see the same balance of divine sovereignty and human responsibility in the harvest. Even though God is the one who reaps the harvest, He is the one who provides the workers, we still have a part to play. Two ways we can play our part in God's harvest. Firstly, although God provides the workers, we have the task of asking Him in prayer. This is one thing that all disciples of Jesus can do to help when the workers are few. Even if you haven't been called to do hands-on work, you can still pray. You can still ask God for the workers that are needed. So for Bibi, uh, we know about the lack of officers. I've been hearing it for a while. Here's the first place to start for all fellow workers. Pray. Ask God to send workers. And especially for the rest of us who, who have a heart for the BB ministry, but we can't directly get involved for whatever reason, maybe due to health or maybe we are you know, online and we are not actually in Penang, uh, doesn't matter. You can still pray, support in prayer, and ask God to send workers. So that's the first way you can play your part. Pray, ask God to send workers. Now, the second thing is we also have the task of being the answer to our own prayers. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Okay, if you have your Bibles or, or your phone or whatever, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 9 and look at verse 38. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. That is the, the last verse of that chapter, right? Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. 
Ask therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, remember that the original Bible did not have chapters and verses. Okay, so turn the page or you, you scroll or whatever, swipe. Okay, look at chapter 10, verse 1. The very next verse after chapter 9, verse 38. The very next verse, what does it say? It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. If you look further down in verse 7, they're also given the task to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Now remember, the original Bible had no chapters and verses. And so, this is the continuing thought immediately after harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Ask God to send workers. Essentially, Jesus was telling them, his disciples, he's telling them, harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest to send out workers. Okay, now you are being sent out to work in the harvest field. So the disciples were the answers to their own prayers in this case. So if you've been praying for workers for very long, not just BB, but any ministry, if you've been praying for workers for very long and it doesn't seem like God is sending someone along, is it possible that God wants to answer through you? Is it possible that He wants to send you to where the workers are few? Now, this is the part where people usually start saying, Pieren, Pieren, right? But let me say, if God's call to a particular harvest field is clear, He's given you the necessary giftings, the need is there, you are able. If God's call is clear, just answer that call. You may be afraid you won't be able to commit your time or you won't be able to commit your attention or you have something else that's holding you back. But if God is truly calling you to that harvest field, you ask for Jesus' compassion for His people, His splagnizome, and that strong compassion will remove your doubts and your obstacles. It may even rearrange your priorities to make it possible. Because when you feel very strongly for something and you really want to work towards it, you may do a lot of shifting and housekeeping in your life to make that possible. Or perhaps, maybe you feel underqualified for the task, or you feel like you're not holy enough or good enough. But here's the thing, God uses ordinary people. This was the theme of our anniversary message recently. God uses ordinary people. You just take a look at who Jesus chose to send out into the harvest field. Chapter 10, verses 2 to 4, uh, the list of the disciples, the 12 disciples. Today, they are considered saints. We name churches after them, at least the, the Catholics and Anglicans do. But if you see how they are described in the Gospels, they're very blur, they're very impulsive, they're very imperfect. They were uneducated fishermen, tax collectors, revolutionaries, uh, some even... I think some of them even uh, use violence, you know, that kind of thing. So if Jesus only wanted to use the experts, if Jesus only wanted to use the experts, the seminarians and the theologians, 
would he not have called the Pharisees and the Sadducees to be his 12 disciples? But he didn't, did he? Now, just a quick show of hands, at least for those of us here physically present, how many of you were first introduced to Jesus or the church by a pastor or full-time ministry worker? How many of you? Show of hands. Okay. Kosong. <laughs> okay, for the, for the online people, uh, you can't see, but no one is raising their hands, okay? So it seems like every single person in this century was not introduced to Jesus or the church by a pastor or full-time ministry worker. Okay. How many of you were introduced to Jesus or the church by ordinary lay people, whether a family, friend, or lay-driven ministry like BB or MYF? Show of hands. Yeah, so for those of you online, lots of hands are going up, and maybe your own hands too. So friends, the harvest field is indeed plentiful. It just needs workers. There are many areas in God's kingdom and in our church that needs workers. But since today is BB and Roman Sunday, I will make my plea a little bit more specific. The harvest field for BB is plentiful. I, I remember uh, our President Jaya, now Bishop-elect Jaya uh, of, of the Methodist Church. I remember how he always says that the, the ministry of BB is one of those ministries within the Methodist Church where you have the most connections, I'm paraphrasing him like crazy, but essentially the idea is this, you have the most connections and you have the most reach to those who are not Christians and those who are not ordinarily part of the church. And so many, 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 many people have come to faith, have come to know Jesus, have come into God's kingdom through the ministry of the Boys Brigade. And so, the harvest is still plentiful. The workers are few. And so, will you do your part by asking God to provide workers in faithful prayer? Perhaps, maybe even be the answer to your own prayer. As I understand, being a, an officer or a helper doesn't require you to have gone through BB and all that. So, all you need is a humble, willing, compassionate heart. Will you be part of God's important work in the harvest field of the Boys Brigade? And for the harvest field of many other ministries in God's kingdom, will you be part of God's important work? So in conclusion, I'd like you to know that the Lord's harvest requires workers. The Lord's harvest requires workers. The need will always be there. If not in one area of ministry, in another and so, would you be open to being God's answer to the need for workers? Would you consider being a worker for this important work of God's kingdom, where if the harvest is not reaped, it withers and dies? And may you do the work of harvesting, indeed, and in prayer. For those already involved in this work, ask for the compassion of Jesus persevere with the strength and the perspective that He gives you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.